well, famous last words, but this may be our shortest episode yet. Win a pig and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about for usually for as long as it takes to watch them. Uh, this is episode number 156, I think. My name is Jakob. And my name is Randy. And today we are talking about The Ice Road, which is the second installment of our January Liam Neeson's Planes, Trains and Automobiles, or mm-hmm. Trucks or Lorries, I suppose. But we're talking about trucks today, so... We're, do- we're going to do just that in a few seconds. However, before we do that, traditionally, welcome aboard. Get you Just sit yourself down. A few announcements. So, um, I think... No, is this... Double, just double check. Eh, possi- possibly close. Maybe close enough. This will be probably c- coming close to... A, let's just call it like a birthday episode for us. Yep. No? Because this is this is coming out on the nineteenth, so um, we didn't really discuss this. Um, should we make something free on Patreon for a week? <laughs> sure, let's do it. Or yeah, I don't know. Didn't have any ideas. This is how prepared we've come. <laughs> okay. for this. We're just going to do this yeah. live. Well, why don't we do Taken for a week or two? Taken, yeah, exactly. It's Liam's month. Let's do Taken. Uh, taken, take. So if you if you listen to this, like, go head on our Patreon, which is patreoncom slash pod and you can listen to our conversation about Taken for free for just one week only, as as a little celebration of us turning what three now? Three, three, yeah, yeah. So technically, we know yeah. how to walk, and we're more, almost more, almost more or less potty trained. Yep, we're just sleeping in a pull up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So every now and again, we will poop ourselves, but mostly we get it done correctly. Yep. Okay. However, we're still young enough that whenever we do our number twos in the potty, people applaud. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's exactly right. And sometimes it's the topic of the annual newsletter at Christmas time. So this is a sad realization about like your own childhood. You never know when the last time is when your mom's gonna applaud you just doing your business, like the, the mundanity <laughs> of the bowel of the bowel but, movement. But at the same One time, day, it's the it's the last time it gets the standing ovation. <laughs> but at the same time, on the on the the good positive flip side of that, no one really remembers the last time they crapped their pants as a youngster. <laughs> But they do remember the time when they crapped their pants as an adult. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, which is you know, usually a story. You, you know where you were when. It's like 9-11. <laughs> exactly. And for some people, it's let's just say it's a it's a formative experience. It's like a learning sort of. It's a teachable moment when you when sometimes an age will come when you will will know which farts you are allowed to trust and which ones are potentially, let's just say poisonous, and which fast food items you can eat and which ones you can't when you know you're five hours in public away from, you know, a controllable surrounding where you can get to a washroom. 
Yeah, it's not even a washroom. It's a washroom that you can ruin. <laughs> we've ruined the beginning of this episode. No, no, already it's brilliant. Um, so, so, okay, so while we're on the Taken episode, and by the way, like just to, okay, let's just put some put some profundity in here. Like you also don't remember when the last time is. You never realize when the last time is when you left your own child. Yeah. <sighs> Although, you know, like, there will be a time when you'll try and you'll realize, wow, haven't you gotten heavy? Yeah. It's like, Dad, I'm 35. Can you please? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the last time they were excited when you got home after work and came to the door to greet you. Oh, I, I love, I, I used to love the work, welcoming committee. Yeah. Mine has long since moved on to other projects. I, st- I still occasionally get like at least sort of um, like a voice from like the living room or from my daughter's room. It's like, "Daddy, is that you? Hi, Daddy," or something like this. I will get that occasionally, but not most. Mostly, I just walk into the house unaccompanied by any sounds. My dog will come to the door and hug my leg, which is really cute. And once in a while, someone might call out if I had previously promised to bring home a like takeout. See, because us men, we're only worth what we provide. Yeah. I'm shaking my head because it's a radio show, so no one sees this. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, so, okay, we'll head over to our our Patreon, patreon.com slash uncultimatespod, where you will be able to listen to Taken for free for for a little while, Um, just, just as a token of appreciation and goodwill, I suppose. Um, in addition to that, this month we've also finished our Soderbergh journey. So there's Mike, uh, Mike, Michael Mann's Magic Mike's uh, Magic Mike's Last Embrace is available to listen on Patreon as this of the last shallow cut of our um, sort of Soderbergh journey. And then just a gentle reminder, we also, in between the regular releases on the main show, we also released the uh, 154.5 episode where we uh, um, summarized our feelings about Steven Soderbergh and plugged our, a few holes with this Balding Grey movies. So head over to that, to, to, to those episodes if you, li- if you so choose and listen to that. Also, I think at this point... Mm, at this point, yeah, at this, at this point, hold on, yeah, mm-hmm. I think next Wednesday, possibly next Wednesday or, or maybe the Wednesday after that, the first episode of our Catherine Bigelow uh, Marathon, which is the new director marathon for the uh, year 2024, is going to launch, so we're going to be talking about The Loveless, and we actually recorded this uh, a few seconds ago, and boy, <laughs> is this something. The episode so, is Loveless. Check it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, no spoilers. No spoilers. But you know, go and listen. So that's gonna happen. And then you know, just gentle reminder: numero dos. Um, soon after we finish our Liam Neeson's deliberations, we will be also launching our new sort of Patreon main show split project another big director effort where we'll comprehensively go through um, Spike Lee's filmography through his minor joints over here and through his major joints on the Patreon. So all the more reasons to sign up to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash uncutgemspod, where three bucks a month, 450 Canadian, three pounds, three euros, um, will get you access to everything that we have. 
um, for as long as you wish to be a patron, I suppose. I don't know. That's how, I think that's how it works. So, and there's plenty of podcasts. So we have David Lynch marathons. We've got John Cassavetes marathon. We've got all the Soderbergs that we didn't cover on the main show. And then we've got plenty of other bonus times and whatnot. So there's like 80 podcasts at this point in there. So plenty of stuff to listen to. So if you enjoy our voices and you'd like to support our, our, your local indie podcasters, this is how you can do it. If you don't know how to, then, you know, like ask your mom. Um, if you don't wish to support us with a monthly donation, you can always leave us a donation at ko-fi.com slash if you still want to support. And if you don't feel like spending money, that's totally fine. This is, you know, leave us a review, leave us a rating. Or as we always say, just tell a friend. Pay it forward. Just tell someone about us and maybe they'll like us. Um, and that's it. So let's just move on to the business of the day, which is our second installment of the Liam Neeson's Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Um, but this time we're talking about automobiles, so we're talking about the ice road. Which one of you guys is Mike McCann? I am. You're the driver, he's the mechanic? Yep, one of the best. Says you had experience on the ice road in the Northwest Territory. That's pretty serious country. What'd you drive? Nothing on wheels. Says you've had 11 gigs in the last eight years, which ain't exactly inspiring my confidence. Some reason that you can't hold down a job? My, uh, my brother's a veteran, got injured in Iraq. Uh, he's got this thing called aphasia, which is... I know what it is. Long story short, uh, for the past eight years, I've been his caretaker, for lack of a better word. And, and we... I get it, I get it. We ain't got time. What's his name? Call him Gertie. Gertie. Hey. Gertie, Jim Goldenrod. Grab your tool set. Follow me. So the ice road is stars Liam Neeson and um, it's <laughs> the synopsis reads as in a remote Arctic mining town, a catastrophic collapse traps a group of miners deep underground facing an impending disaster. The only hope for their survival lies in a daring and treacherous rescue mission. Enter Mike Thompson, a seasoned ice road trucker known for navigating the perilous frozen highways of the north. Uh, so Mike assembles a team of skilled drivers and embarks on a race against time. I'm going to leave it there because ChatGPT has generated five more paragraphs. Synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this movie was released in 2021. It was directed and written by Jonathan Hensley. And I think we're going to get to it in a few seconds anyway. But Jonathan Hensley is a guy who... Among others, he directed Punisher, or The Punisher in 2004. But I think he's mostly known for his writing gigs because he penned the script. Well, or did he? So he he is the credited writer on Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, Armageddon. And then he also was a script doctor on a few Bruckheimer films like The Rock, uh, Con Air. He also wrote the original else. Jumanji too. He did write original Jumanji yeah. as well. And oh, also script doctored uh, the remake of Gone in 60 Seconds, which is also another Jerry Bruckheimer film. But I think we're going to touch on this in a few seconds anyway. So I don't have much on this film. I know it's a Canadian production. So ish, which was like, ish. It's an American production, but it, it it took place like it was shot exclusively here. Main cast all came from the States. Yeah. But like production companies, like some of them are, some of these outfits are Canadian based. So I'm not yeah. sure where they got their money from. However, the point is that I think at some point the production got acquired by Netflix for, I want to say like a whopping 18 to 20 million bucks. 
and released in June 2021 on Netflix. And apparently at the time of its release, this was like the most streamed title of the weekend. I'm not even sure what was the, uh, count like let's just say the cinema cinematic counter-programming to this. Bear in mind, this is still the pandemic times. So many cinemas still not very, very much opened. I think this is still just about before, I want to say Top Gun Maverick came out to, you know, save the cinemas or something. Or maybe Top Gun Maverick came out in 2022. That was 2022. Yeah. Maybe this is when it was supposed to come out and it was pushed okay. because cinemas were coming like on and off and on and off. I don't know. But it was released on streaming and then and actually it's streaming in various di- different jurisdictions, either on Netflix or on Amazon Prime. And I'll say, so yeah, there's that. sorry to interrupt, Corella was out in 2021 and at that time came out May 28th and then just after the June 21st, 2021, uh, on June 25th, it was F9, the Fast and Furious saga. So it was when Hollywood What's... was trying to throw a couple out there, um, mm-hmm. but there, there were just a couple. Yeah, so there's that. Um, critically, oh, let me just quickly just dig this out, because I think critically it's kind of mixed. <laughs> um, as in like, or mixed to negative, I suppose, because that's like on a Rotten Tomatoes, it kind of holds a 44% um, average based on 89 reviews. Um and the consensus reads as Liam Neeson remains a top-tier action hero. Unfortunately, like a number of his recent genre outings, the ice road is a downhill trondo paved with predictability. Um, and then, you know, as people criticized, is downright laughable VFX and, you know, and wrote the film off. So I suppose there is a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe there's something to talk about in here. So let's just get into it. What did you, Randy, what did you think about the ice road. Well, in preparation for this, I contacted both of my sisters who once upon a time lived in Yellowknife in the Canadians North, and both of them had experiences with ice roads. I contacted them to double check because they seem to recall stories. And uh, my twin sister this thing exists, right? <laughs> it is a it is a thing, and it is it you know, and they are in Manitoba, and I think in Alberta, certainly as well, and then in the Northwest Territories. So they, they are certainly a thing, and they're these seasonal roads. And I asked my my twin sister what her experience was, and what did she say? Uh, sorry, I should have had it cute. Uh, she said, why do you ask? Okay, <laughs> don't, don't mind that. Okay, then she got down to it, and she said, they're kind of nerve-wracking, actually. If you get out and walk on it, you can almost certainly hear the ice cracking constantly. Uh, also, looking down at the road itself, you would see large cracks, and they would be gaping quite a bit. Uh, so she was sort of unnerved by the experience. Um, and my other sister recalled that she was traveling, I think in maybe it was May, and it was fairly far north, and the ice road she was hoping to travel um, it had just closed. So she had to wait for a, a small flight or something. I think it was to, to get to where she was going because she didn't get to the ice road before it closed. So she was stranded for a couple of days and quite literally the middle of nowhere. Um, so at any rate, it's, it's a thing. And, uh, I found watching this film, I'll, I'll be honest. I sort of liked it. It's problem. It's got problems. It's, it's not strong. It's cliched as hell. Um, but 
but it's what I'll call a two-headed beast. There's one head is this business of the that you described in the the plot synopsis of the mine, the mine explosion, and these trapped miners. That's one piece of it, and then there's corporate malfeasance and greed, and there's a situation at the mine, and then there's the situation of getting these uh, big wellheads up to the mine to sort of help open up the airline into the mine or whatever they're doing with it. Don't know. It doesn't like drain the methane or something like that. I don't know what they're doing with yeah, these wellheads. Yeah, I think it's just to open up an airline or something, probably to yeah get rid of the methane and pump in oxygen, whatever. Doesn't matter because that's the other side of this this beast. And that's Liam Neeson and his brother. And and then there's a small convoy of these trucks that are taking these wellheads up north and they have to cross these ice roads. I find that really fun. It's sort of fast and furious and frozen with these huge trucks, these huge lorries. And I think it's fantastic fun for the most part. Like I'm, I'm along for the ride and I'm enjoying it. Um, why? I don't know. Like I'm in a little bit of Liam Neeson overload lately because I've watched a lot of these latter day thrillers of his. And <laughs> have, have you over, have you overfed yourself? I think so. So on the sofa, I've got a <laughs> decent diet of straight to streaming. I've got, the what, do, what do I have? I've got Taken 2, Taken 3, The Marksman, The Honest Thief, uh, Black Light, uh, Ice Road, Nonstop. Um, oh, Run All Night? No, I didn't see that one. But it seems to me there's... I still have a week. Yeah. I still have a week. Oodles of time. Anyway, anyway of these smaller productions... Unknown? Did you say Unknown? No. Oh, yes, I did see Unknown. Thank you. I saw Unknown. Um, but at any rate... A Walk Among Tombstones. I didn't see that recently. But anyway, these aren't the smaller these aren't the smaller ones. Like it's the the marksman and honest thief. Like Neeson really has drifted into sort of the 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 garbage bin of you know cinema, the the low rack that what would be the low rack in the nineteen eighties at a video store shelf. Um but this one is pretty good and I, I really like where uh where neeson's going with this character the character in general i think he's given more to deal with here because he's playing a brother's keeper type of role he's not playing um uh he's not playing a former marine he's he's not playing a guy with all these skills in his past and now they come to the fore and he has to you know protect his family um now we just talked about that in taken sometimes this can be done right but sometimes it's just it's just super cliched you know he's just not this stoic old cowboy this eastwood type of character such as he is in the marksman here there's an emotional connection between him and his brother um he and his brother they're they're a team that that drive these trucks the brother's the mechanic and liam neeson is his is his caretaker basically in a way because his brother suffers from aphasia and the film doesn't really get into that in a major way they don't explain everything i watch this i don't necessarily know much more about aphasia they don't dwell on it it's just something that exists in their relationship with this character i sort of like that it works it's different it's giving neeson a different uh, approach to this type of a role uh and i like as well amber midthunder i find she's a very compelling actress so you know she's i, I really like her in this so all this is happening on the ice road. And then also we've got Lawrence Fishburne in there. So he adds oh, a certain do. pedigree as well. So the stuff on the ice road, I am really down with. And it's it's sort of fun. Yes, it's cliched. Yes, it's predictable. And that's 
fine sometimes because it's done well and uh you know it's it's not just sort of straight straightforward fair because i think neeson's a little bit different the characters written a little bit differently there's a relation in relationship in here that i care about so yeah i sort of like this although yeah there's a bunch of problems but i can get behind this i could watch this again no problem so that's me i'll leave it at that and we'll break it down a little further what about you sir Right, so in terms of general impressions, because I think some things I'm I'm about to say may actually factor into elements of this conversation later on. Um, I can't, I watched this. I feel like such a cliche because it's such a dad movie, um, but it, but again, like it's one of those. It's like an, well, first of all, I think it's one of those films that I think almost from the opening five minutes, you kind of know what kind of a film you're in. Mm -hmm. So you can immediately adjust your expectations if you haven't done so already. As in like, this like, this isn't like an A, like, like uh, look, this isn't Ridley Scott. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're not what, or, or like this wouldn't have been directed by the late Tony Scott if, had he been alive. This is not the, the that kind of shelf, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I think you're totally on point that this is, um, like you, you're watching the equivalent of a direct-to-video action film, which is surprisingly well put together with, within the constraints of what I can only assume was not a lot of money, right? However, they, even with that not a lot of money, they still tried to stretch whatever they had quite far and wide and thin as a result. So that's kind of how you have to take it. So what are you what you're getting yourself into is a direct to TV or direct not to TV, direct to video action film with Liam Neeson in it where Liam Neeson is not the Bruce Willis. He's not in his Bruce Willis post um um diehard mode. Like right. this isn't this wouldn't be like even like the striking distance of it all. Um this would be like he's in the soft Tom Berenger. <laughs> yeah. Mode, right? So that's kind of where you are. Um, however, I will say that I've had a lot of fun with it because it's cool. a good. It's um, it's a surprisingly painless experience, as long as you just enter into some kind of a social contract with yourself <laughs> with the film. Uh, uh, I think that you're like there's a ceiling of what, on on what you can expect this film will ever do, and then if you agree to this then you're going to have fun. Like the same way, like we talked about Plane last week. Like if you watch Plane expecting that this is going to be like a revolutionary blockbuster experience, like you're not going to have fun because if you gauge it against the sort of the type A blockbuster action film, then it clearly comes up short. Now, if you get, if you kind of recalibrate, it, you you you'll have a lot a lot of fun because the expectations are appropriately tempered. I think this is where I was because I really like Liam Neeson in it. Mm -hmm. he, some he has moments, and this the film is kind of terminally stupid in places. I have notes, if, yeah, um, if not throughout, but but it works, yeah. but it works. And I think I didn't mention anybody else in the cast, but yeah, Larry Fishburne. Sorry, Lawrence Fishburne. He stopped being called Larry. I think in the early nineties when he was twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he decided that Larry wasn't a good, um, I don't know, good vibe for yeah. him or something. I think he, he may have been credited as Larry in a few Spike Lee films, which we're going to get to in a few months, right? Or weeks, I suppose, at this point. Um, so so there's that. And there's Amber Midthunder, who's, uh, 
I mean, I don't want to say she's underused in, uh, in here, but she's used just about as much as you, as the script would allow her to be used. Um, and she's 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 a really interesting positive presence. I like the um, uh, the relationship um, Neeson's character was his Mike yep. uh, has his with bro- brother Gertie, and I think we'll get to the PTSD slash aphasia and and the depictions of it in a second because like, I really have a limited list of talking points. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna leave it here. But the the movie for me it works because it's simple. It's propulsive. It has a it has a very clearly defined stakes, um, urgency, and uh, and mechanics. I think so. It works kind of like this of let's just say that a nineties post speed thriller, right? Where there's 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 a certain set of constraints to what you're about to embark on, and there's a road in front of you. There's there's a place the characters have to get in time to do the thing that they need to do, and it really doesn't matter what it is. Like for all I care, they have to carry fluger horns to to fix it, fix the left phalange somewhere. I do not care because what matters is the des- not the destination, but it's the journey, right? It's kind of again like what the commuter was like. It, it's it's about what you're what the experience of what you're going through. If you start paying attention too much to what's around it what's underpinning the story whether this makes sense or whether these stakes actually have any depth or is, is there a social commentary and then there's a little bit then you can immediately oh and viciously take this movie apart but at the same time like why yeah <laughs> why would you so but we may end up doing that anyway so i i actually quite liked it cool this is Good. uh i i definitely would definitely put it on Again, as the sort of just like an because it's an easy watch, it's just an easy action film, is what it is. Um, so I think it's probably a good idea to maybe because there's I have a handful of things to explore, and we we, as a jumping off point, it's maybe a good idea to try and understand why. Because this this isn't a big Hollywood production with 150 mil of budget underpinning its existence, it doesn't have big studio uh bankrolling it, it doesn't even have that much of a big name helming it because Jonathan Hensley is essentially coming out of retirement for it a little bit, right? Or maybe a self-imposed exile, I don't know. Or maybe he's just been busy doing t- TV, not really sure. Let's check. <laughs> just check. Doesn't have any TV. No, he okay. So he's so around sixty when some, he made this, yeah. Yeah, and he he did take a break after Kill the Irishman. So so he's kind of in a let's just say scaling down, phasing out mode, I suppose. Coming back to do this, um. And you know, like that, you don't have like I don't know, Vin Diesel. Like we don't have Tom Cruise in here. You don't have massive stars. You don't necessarily have these of massive set pieces. It's a you you don't have some, but the film is relatively local. So, and we liked it. Like I don't want to say like, oh, is it because we're dads and we just like the '90s shit? That's possible, and I wouldn't say no. 
But there's something, in, I think there's something inherently about this film that makes it work. And let's just try and dig into dig into this and find out what it could be. Any thoughts on this? Did uh, you? <laughs> yeah, I, I do actually. And some of it's coming out of what you were saying a couple of minutes ago. As viewers, if we enter into a contract with this film, we realize very early on that the contract lays out that this film has a fairly low ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the reason I mention this is because we railed against the commuter last week. Nice. Thank by you. The way. Thank you. Well, I need to have a button <laughs> on the on the board, but I don't. So I'm gonna do this. Oh god! Oh my god! But that was a film we both sort of liked, and at the end of the day, we we gave a good score to. We got through it just fine. But spoiler for our episode, parts. but we just sort of grumbled about it through, you know, a couple hours. And I think in that film. It might like the ex. What are the expectations here? And it's a, it's a little bit more polished, and it it sets us out on a you know this is sort of a first person perspective type of adventure. And then it isn't because there's a conspiracy. And I think that a lot of issues might have to do with how the expectations were laid out via the script or whatever. Here it's very clear early on, as you were saying, what's going to happen. You were reading a review from someone, and they were talking about oh, it's very predictable. Yeah, sure. Um, it's like so, <laughs> but I'm I'm fine with that. And uh, you know, you can tell like the special effects are you know fairly you know limited, and you know it's it's a small cast and it's fairly isolated. They've got you know four, five, six locations, and then just sort of a big cleared off lake that's frozen. Uh, so, so for me, I think you go into this and then you have maybe lower expectations. Uh, but what Liam Neeson, and I would say this relationship he has with his brother, there is something that really, really works with me about the uh, the, the brother's keeper angle here. So, yes, the, the, the ceiling is lowered, but I think the floor is raised from that because that's Neeson is... <laughs> like this floor and being John Malkovich, just this much space. You've got just a little bit <laughs> the of floor a... floor is raised, the ceiling's lowered. <laughs> So and it's essentially like it's like a, it's very easy to see where this film like an fits. Air duct. <laughs> so yeah, so for me, uh, yeah, th- this film you know works nicely because it's sort of laid out, and then my expectations aren't that high. So you know what, it doesn't arse anything up because you know bare minimum you've got Liam Neeson is doing something interesting that you don't see in these. DTV, these, you know, bottom shelf types of uh, action films, these $20 million action films, which probably are doling out $10 million in salary between Neeson and Fishburne. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that that's why I if think Fishburne gets more than a million out of this. I applaud him because he's in and out of this movie. <laughs> True. Well, he's probably getting a million and Neeson's probably getting around eight. That's sort of my, you know, guesstimation economics for you you're probably not wrong you know ish <clears throat> so yeah to me i think it's like the the expectations are are clear yeah lowest hanging fruit but i'm okay with that um you know and it's it's perfectly fine and it doesn't mess anything up because <laughs> because the floor has been raised <laughs> so i i think that's probably what it is in terms of why it, why it, why it lands I think you you kind of just like the character angle. I think this is kind of what helps because you have a 
um, a very simple relationship underpinning a lot of the um, the urgency, mm-hmm. right? Because these people are like down on their luck. They they need this. They need this job. It pays two hundred thousand uh, dollars, so they need to get a truck. So this is their sort of angle into this. We need this job to get the money. We need to have the freedom that we um, that we'd like to have, so that people wouldn't berate my brother for because for thinking that he's like mentally challenged, mm-hmm. even though he's he's a victim of. Um, uh, of, I think he had, he had an accident of some description on on the battlefield, and as a result of this, he's developed this sort of cognitive uh, deterioration, like dementia or yeah. aphasia, I suppose. Yeah. This is, right. But if you squint, what this is, this this is sort of what works with Steinbeck, you know, of mice and men. That's if you squint, that's sort of the relationship, and yeah, it's sturdy. Exactly. It's it's sturdy dramatically. It's it's sturdy in terms of <laughs> sturdy gurdy. <laughs> Sturdy Gertie. So, yeah. Uh, but what I think, so that's one aspect of this. So there's this character, there's this sort of character relationship. There's also, I want to say, if you want to make, okay, everyone knows that this is, this is how much money we have. We're, we're trying to make an action film. So kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Okay. What is this movie? When, I, when I'm just looking at this, like, why does it look familiar? It is one of this, I think, things about this movie is that it feels familiar to me okay and two notes i managed to to take for myself that this movie looks like and this is this is this is going to come back to jonathan hensley it looks like armageddon Ooh, yeah we have to take these two these people to a remote location to drill a hole it's armageddon on ice sure that's one thing also you want to introduce some stakes go back to the classics what is this wages of fear yeah I, th- I thought trucks. that too. You you squint, yeah. you squint, and you can see it. Yeah, yeah. But instead of nitroglycerin or whatever it is that you know, like dynamite that we have in Sorcerer, we have trucks that cannot stop because if they stop, they'll fall through the ice. Because the whole con- the whole concept of 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 driving on ice that you have to do it quickly enough that the ice wouldn't fall mm-hmm. in under your weight, but not fast enough that they will create like a pressure wave that will ruin. So that's kind of how you create. The suspense, the wage of sus- uh, oh, wage of suspiria, wage <laughs> of fear, the wages of fear, the Clusotian suspense of these. These are the parameters of what we need to do in order to stay safe. And of course, as a result of these parameters being set, we're going to be immediately put in situations where these parameters are breached, right? And that's what makes this movie cook. Yeah, because it immediately puts you in the sort of in in the hot seat in here. That's kind of how I see it. And and because you can almost forget that Liam Neeson's in, like you could put like a bunch of nobodies in here, it would still cook just probably just as well. Um, although the character angle wouldn't be probably just as pronounced because like Liam Neeson has a few interesting moments in here, although he cries like Gollum at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as opposed like, to almost told Gertie was precious, <laughs> but Jesus. <laughs> um, so, uh so yeah, so I think that's what kind of makes it work to me, which kind of brings... Is this Jonathan Hensley just knowing how entertainment's done? Uh, you know what? As you're talking, I think so. So between the Of Mice and Men and The Wages of Fear... Uh, and, and Armageddon. And, well, you know what Armageddon does? It's it's what makes it an action movie, right? What's the propelling force in the action movie? You know, this is the idea of, of go from point A to point B 
for some reason. So yeah, it's 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 Armageddon plus of mice and men plus a uh, sorcerer. Uh, boom, and then you've you've got this. So yeah. yeah. So it is. It's Hensley. It's and maybe just as much as directing, it's probably just his his crafting of the idea. Uh, you know, before it even comes to a script, and he's been around long enough mm-hmm. to know how you know, how to turn it into a script and then, you know, take the helm and turn it into a film. You know, he, he's not a marquee name behind the camera, like as a, as a director, but, but he's, he's a company guy. He's been around a long guy. He know a long time. He knows how this works. And, you know, it, it probably makes sense, you know, for me, just from his experience that he can helm a $20 million production and, you know, he can, tell what he wants from the CGI houses in terms of effects and stuff. Everything is limited by way of resources, but you know, like he knows, he knows how to deliver. He knows he has an idea of how this is going to look. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, even with that, you could probably even imagine that this movie wouldn't even need any special effects realistically, because you can imagine all the suspense would come from the fact that sometimes a truck needs to stop on this ice and all you need is sound effects of the ice cracking every now and mm-hmm. again. So you feel like there's the urgency, like fix the thing, please. We need to get moving. Uh, and they, and then, well, they, they do end up showing quite a few things so that to reinforce that actually this suspense is here for real. And that, few scenes where even they just strategically use just regular plain old physics to to get to get you in a state of like oh jesus say mm-hmm. where the, a truck's overturned and they use a winch um to bring it back on its on its wheels and there's this brief moment when it kind of just dances on just the tips of its t- tires and if if you know anything about physics pounds per square inch well, is. And this is a nice touch too that follows the the fact that these uh, uh, two big rigs, you know, they outran sort of the cracking of the ice, and then they they went on their sides. But you have a nice little moment. It's exposition, but it totally works. Um, these these trucks are on their side, and Liam Neeson says, "You know what? You know why the cracking didn't come all the way this to us? It's because now the weight is distributed evenly across the side of the vehicle." And then it's like a minute and a half later where suspense comes from the fact that we're thinking about pounds per square inch when they're writing these rigs. And we, we see that all the weight is on like one half of the tires and we think, holy crap. But it's because mm-hmm. it's been explained, you know, fairly nicely in the moments leading up to it. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to do all that. Like You don't have to slow down all that much to... To explain why you should feel scared or tense about certain things, because you can kind of infer, which is kind of, again, like this is like wages of fear from wish, right? Because it's not as, it's not as powerful. It's not as um, polished. It's not as accomplished. Nowhere near as accomplished. Doesn't even, I think, begin to touch the, the sort of the level of this. It's not on, it's not on the same shelf. Mm but it uses the same principles and these principles work for a reason. And that's kind of how I feel this movie works for me. And based on these principles, they actually derive, I want to say a handful of quite interesting set pieces because they do use like, again, like sorcerer, there's a, there's a set piece with a, with a rope bridge. Yep. And of course there is a rope bridge. Therefore there's going to be situations where something goes wrong. And is, is the bridge even fit to, to carry a rig like this? 
all that comes from physics on top of everything on top of actually even just mixing in elements from like i don't know like 1980s like the aliens or um was it outland or something like there's that there's a company having its like ulterior motive and not everyone is who they say they are um so it just canonically works for me and the set pieces that they kind of get out of these sort of parameters of oh this is what we can do with the ice this is how we should behave ourselves on the ice and immediately stuff goes wrong because like a rig breaks down and they have to slow down so they have to stop and fix it and actually they introduce this element of um let's just say character skill in there because they need to hire mechanics who who can do their jobs reasonably quickly so that they can fix whatever needs fixing and then get get back on the move to avoid risking falling through the eyes um it all just works for me um so it's just it's just nice to look at as a a, as a set piece because you don't really need much to accomplish what you need to accomplish even though i think they they really try at some in in a few places yeah i I think actually the the piece where they need the master mechanic that even goes to the steinbeck thing because as i recall in that story um uh it's george and lenny right so and Lenny's the big guy, I think. Anyway, so I think Lenny is the guy that all the farms wanted to hire because he was twice the size of anyone else. Like, you know, Gary Sinise, George was sort of meaningless, but George is the brother. So, and in this, you can take any you can take any driver. Liam Neeson's not special. Is that this guy's a master mechanic? His brother's the master mechanic. So we've got our mechanic. So I guess that makes Liam Neeson the the automatic driver. So. Anyway, I, again, I'm sort of fascinated with coming up with that connection. So, actually, in in that also the dynamic between them is that the assumption is in the very beginning, as you meet them, that Gertie is mentally handicapped mm-hmm. in some description, right? And immediately Liam Neeson um, punches out a guy who um, uh, who just calls him names or just I don't know they they make fun of him they they throw things at him they're really mean to him right so he punches a guy and they get fired immediately right um th- so the assumption is that he's taking care of his brother because the brother has some kind of problems but it turns out that he's fine he he has problems articulating he has speech pro- related problems like this aphasia is something that affects the way he verbalizes thought but he's in a way, it's kind of a more frightening sort of ailment because it feels like he, his brain is trapped in his body. Yes. Um. So and he, so almost it to, goes to a point that he's the smarter and the braver of the two. He just doesn't have the the toolkit to express himself. Yeah. So in a way, it's, and they have these moments where they have where they square off because like Gertie thinks one thing. He says, like, no, I, I can't do this and just, oh, 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 I have to stop the winch or whatever. And then Liam Neeson goes, like, no, keep it on. So keep it on. Yeah. <laughs> and then who's right? Gertie, because, like, the winch just goes straight down through the ice. Yeah. The, the problem is uh, it's the brother's keeper business, but the problem is the keeper, not the brother, in a way, because it's really hard for Liam Neeson because he feels he has to protect his brother. Um, but actually Gertie knows what he's doing in in all this stuff. And the problem, the reason they get fired is because Liam Neeson loses his cool and punches out a bully. Uh, you know, 
whatever, but it's, it's not because Gertie did anything. It's because Liam Neeson did. And you know, this, the same thing, why do they get into the predicament where they lose this, the second uh, trailer? It's because they lose the winch. They lose the winch because Liam Neeson is, is panicked and sort of and he lost his temper as well. lost his temper as well. So that fascinates me too, right? Like I, I, this, this plight is something that, uh, you know, and it's very basic. And the, the more we talk about it, I think that this is something that Jonathan Hensley say, well, there's a dynamic from literature that really works. So I'll, I'll plunk it in here. And, but it, it really does, it really does work because there's a depth here. And what I, I love too, is that for this type of a film, which in a way, I'll, I'll say this, although I don't, I don't uh, I'll say this, although I don't really mean it. It's a lazy action film. I don't really mean that, but hopefully people know what it I mean by is, that. Yeah. But in a nice way. Precisely. So this you don't expect to see this relationship dynamic, you don't expect to see this type of performance and Liam Neeson hasn't been given anything like this to do in the other films that I've seen. Like I, I think over the ta- across the Taken series the writers of that series don't really know what Liam Neeson is except in the first one he's well defined as a you know, as a dad with a skill set. Um, outside of that, like, what is he? He's he's an action hero. Like, is he an Eastwood type? Is he, you know, is he like a a, a Rambo type? You know, like, it's it's very basic what we see him in the in the Marksman, for instance. He's taking a kid across the country, so it's you know, and I feel I've seen that a bunch of time where you got an old. He's dude. Bruce Willis because it's like Mercury <laughs> Rising. Right, and uh, what uh, Kevin Costner is in, isn't that the oh, what happens perfect in the perfect world? world? What he's doing in that? So, at, at any rate, it's these. I've seen this stuff before, right? It's just he's he's a widow. He's, <laughs> but this is interesting, and it's actually well done in the middle of it. <laughs> so, like, is this, is it a problem that you've seen this before? No, no, but this is. The, I, it's like the wages of fear meets Armageddon meets aliens, and then also with kind of sort of like a like a late nineties Bruce Willis. It doesn't have to or be Kevin Costner or Tom Berenger. But I'll say with something like The Marksman, because I I've seen that type of thing before. It it's not special, so it's not helping the movie, right? Is it a problem? Well, no. Right. If if the film's cooking, then you know it can get by with with you know like the Ice Road gets by with a number of sort of basic you know elements. Um, but slides right by you. It's just slips on through. Uh, but you know, (laughs) here the, the care, it is something unique and special, something that feels out of place in a good way. Cause I don't expect to see this dynamic, you know, in the, in the middle of my straight to video action film. Yeah. So actually this dynamic, this, this is an element that I really enjoyed and this may or may not come back because you know, like my list of tops may, I don't know how I'm going to play this. But the but the dynamic like the idea of uh, rooting this in enough of a reality that you can pay attention to it, but without necessarily either fetishizing or exploring it. So we're still in an action film, so we're just going to check off a few things, and then I suppose if the uh, if the mechanics of the film, as in like the miners trapped with X hours to live because they're run, running out of oxygen, them having the, so these wellheads, the wages of fear, they have to go and drill a hole or whatever. Without this cooking, the way it cooks, because it's just functionally a great combination of um, story traits, 
this will be kind of like you'd, you'd pay attention to it for a bit, for a bit too long and you'd realize that this is all surface level. However, as it is, it's kind of surface level enough that it assumes that the viewer knows. Because I think this movie is specifically written for a guy, like a middle-aged man who knows, or he will be um, empathetic towards another middle-aged man who may have come back from a tour of duty in war, who's just like, oh, I get it. I, I get exactly what's happening. And this is kind of epitomizing this one line where Liam Neeson comes up to... Um, um, by the way, great name for a character that Larry Fishburne has. Lawrence Fishburne, sorry. Joe Goldenrod. <laughs> it is. It is. Great <laughs> name for a character. Golden name. This is a name straight out of Armageddon, by the way. <laughs> um, so he comes up to him and he goes like... Because he asks, what's wrong with your brother? And he goes like... Well, he has this condition called aphasia, and he goes like, "I know what it is." Yes, that's it. End of end of conversation. Isn't that fantastic? I'm, I might <laughs> that's, I might put that on my just, tops. Where's the pen? Oh, <laughs> so okay, so it's gonna be on our on both our tops, I suppose. Then. Okay, I might leave it. Okay. The, no, just keep it there because <laughs> it, it, it's a great moment. It's a blink and you miss it moment of just very functional, and but I think powerful storytelling or character writing. Because mm-hmm. they know that maybe means that Fishburne's character is also a veteran, or at least he's sympathetic to the plight, or maybe he knows that people do have problems. It's not that he's taking care of someone who's been a burden to him. No, this guy, um, uh, you know, th- there, there, there is a different tragedy unfolding in this in this relationship, and the guy immediately gets it. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think this is one of the reasons why. Um, this movie kind of works, yeah. Because you just it just humanizes this yeah. for for what it is. Again, like again, like whoever's listening to this, <laughs> ceiling is low. Still, remember right. the ceiling is low. Like I'm, 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 I make it sound like this, like like this is some kind of a groundbreaking subversive action film. No, it isn't. It's 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 just very functionally and competently written. In, in places where it matters. So there's a certain level of awesomeness that can't reach because of the yeah. low ceiling, but there's a high floor. There's a certain level of suckiness this can't touch because of the exactly. things it does right. Exactly. <laughs> so just what it is, like it's still a direct-to-video film that in 1995 would have starred Tom Berenger mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know who the brother would be. Probably John Leguizamo. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Robert Patrick. That's kind of what it would have been. Um, one thing about this relationship that I'll say is, for a long time, as a as a parent, uh, Campbell, who's been on the show, love you, Campbell. Um, but he was always a really, really big kid. So for a long time, he looked like a four year old when he was two and a half. So mm-hmm. you'd go into these situations where there are a bunch of kids playing. And of course, it'd be the other kids that would get hurt if they were roughhousing or doing whatever, because everyone just bounced off Campbell. Um, but also because of Campbell's height and his sort of perceived maturity, there are always these expectations on him. And I always sort of felt mm-hmm. like, and maybe this is what made me a bit of a hover parent too, is I felt that I had to sort of hover around and provide this opinion if I felt like other parents or the other kids were behaving a certain way. I'd feel like I might have to jump in to, you know, 
protect my son. Maybe, and he probably didn't even need me to do so. But I, I, I get this idea of, of you know, wanting to hover and wanting to protect, you know, a family member who maybe you perceive can't deal with it on their own. And, you know, there's probably positive sides to that. And there's, there's downsides to that too, because, you know, individual maybe has to sort of deal with it uh, themselves. Um, but at the same time too, um, I, I get this and I see that that in the, the, the Liam Neeson character. And again, like it's an element that sort of helps raise, raise the floor in here. And it's, and it's interesting because yep. it's, it's there, it's there throughout. I mean, I have, I have similar experiences cause like I'm like for, 196 centimeters tall, so six foot five for 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 the youngs out there. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so look, my 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 daughter's ten, and she's just about like I want to say this close to 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 overtake my my wife. Oh wow! In height, you know, and my wife is just like she's like a regular sized human being. Um, so she was also very tall for her age. So whenever I would be at a playground with her, like I would just like hover around and you almost do it. Not just, you try not to interfere with other children because children somehow gets it and get it. Then you're like, Oh, kids are kids. Well, who cares the shit? Right. But parents will be just like, uh, why is this, why is this child so infantile? And it was just like, she's three. Yeah. What do you want from her? And he's just like, Oh, I didn't know. Like, just look at me. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah jeans okay like she's just tall <laughs> so but then like it wouldn't work half as well with my wife being in there because she just like my wife just looks like just like a normal human being not like, a, like an ogre so, so 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 she would have to go and explain oh no she, she she's just tall for her age her dad's really tall so that's kind of what it is but i i can see that this is the relationship that the protective um, sort of relationship that Liam Neeson engages in is almost as a measure of like he's trying to explain to the world around them mm-hmm. that you know like no no Gertie's fine he just speaks funny and it doesn't help that Gertie speaks funny and like, I don't I don't know I've never met any aphasia patients or anything like that so I don't quite know maybe they get it right but it feels like it's like a Hallmark movie aphasia maybe I, again I, I don't know I don't know I, I don't know I, it's sold to me you know well enough you may be right i don't i don't know because so, sometimes these elements of dialogue they'll just like it kind of feels like helen keller in a school show uh, however i don't know maybe this is just how it manifests i don't know and they get it absolutely spot on in which case Gertie, lovely fantastic <laughs> job uh what's the guy's name yeah. this is, this i was just gonna say we should give the props to the Ger- actor Gerdy is the character <laughs> not the actor what an yeah, asshole he's a comedian too i looked him up but i just forget his name now uh, what's his name Gerdy marcus thomas that's it that's him um so he was also in kill the irishman by the way so he, oh, he's a hensley he's guy a, he's a jonathan hensley uh stalwart <laughs> that's a word um so yeah so there's that so that's an angle um that i kind of found quite interesting another one maybe worth mentioning in while we're on characters what do you think about um was it M- amber mid thunder so who's, who's what's her name tanto 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 i think she's um, great i really think she has a presence i think that she's a dynamic actress i think she can handle action she, what she does here in a way that i find fascinating is she punches above her weight class because 
she's like what a 22 year old and she's she's playing a grizzled trucker and she sells it well enough you don't have to necessarily walk into this and be blown away by it but i i don't think anyone could make the claim legitimately that oh she didn't convince me at all no i i i bought her completely as a trucker she knows a way her way around she feels like she fits in she's sort of a bit of a tomboy she's a tomboy yeah that's better i was gonna say she she's snotty and abrasive but it doesn't feel like she's overacting or pushing it like i think she has a presence she knows the assignment she understands the character and she's selling something that on paper is probably a little bit of a big sell really a 22 year old female trucker like why is it written this way are we going to get on in some paper it's a diversity hire uh, maybe but also on paper does this make sense to have a 22-year-old female trucker here? Is she a hottie or something? Because there's no sexuality in the film at all to to the film's pluses. Like, it's not distracted by that lowest common denominator stuff. Um, It's... It's just it's just weird, but so on paper I find that would be weird. But I think she totally sells it, and uh, and I also I know you have issues with this film, but she is the protagonist in Prey, and I thought that she had a presence in that. So I mean, I think she's an interesting. I have issues with, with this film to the tune of like three and a half out of five. I think. Oh, okay, I thought it was worse than that. I, I think. Let, let me just let me just hold on. Just in the office. But I don't talk. But I don't think it was the actress, right? But anyway, I find she's an interesting presence. She's also in the Marksman, but she's just basically has a cameo in that. It's not even a cameo because she's not an established star doing a favor. (laughs) I I think that she she just has a small little role in that. But um, yeah, three and a half. But I think she's. I think she's interesting. And if you rewind twenty years, thirty years, when you know there was such a thing as you know Hollywood stars. she would be interesting and maybe she could be one. I don't think we have a star system anymore, not in the same way. Um, but I think she's going to, she is a working actress and she's going from job to job. And I think she's in, uh, there's a TV show. Is it reservation dogs or something? I've mm-hmm. I think that's it. I think she's in that. So, you know, good honor. I think she was in the FX series Legion with, uh, was it mm-hmm. Dan, Dan Steves. Yep. Is that her in that? And I think, uh, that Aubrey, plaza in that so anyway mm-hmm. she's been around i think she's an interesting presence and uh again it's a weird role like a 22 year old female trucker there's no sexuality in the film at all and i i think that she sells it she convinces me of it so yeah i, I thought she was great is she also first nations um half her half. mom is thai and chinese Right. So she's because I was just like, where's where's the mid thunder name yeah. coming from? Is it just her dad? I think is Sue, maybe Sue Nation. Right. Maybe that. Maybe that's <laughs> what it is. So 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 there's that. So on paper, like you write this character as as, a, as in like a First Nations twenty two year old trucker who's who's kind of in this predicament with a political agenda as a character. Sounds like a diversity hire. As in like we need to tick a box in here. But she sells it. Actually, it, it doesn't like you know it dr- doesn't draw attention to itself too much. As in like you know like a, a, again like a middle aged man who's like, a target demographic of this movie wouldn't go and say like oh another one of those Netflix hiring choices right? Or it's just like we'll have to do that this way because otherwise whatever. And it's just there is no cynicism of that kind in here Agreed. present whatsoever because like again like the movie just cooks so quickly that you don't really get the chance to interrogate these 
Because, like, at the same time, why does he have to have a political agenda? It doesn't matter. It doesn't really. Um, only to a, only to a, a certain point, and this is me just skillfully stringing along my talking points until I run out of the road, um, which will be, she's maybe somehow her political agenda somehow plays into the what you what you've you've been so lovingly calling for for the last I want to say a few months the corporate malfeasance sort of <laughs> yeah. Uh, angle yeah but yeah this is sort of the villain because there is a villain in here the villain's not just time or the predicament there's um the company that lets sort of this accident happen yeah. in the mine somewhere like wherever Manitoba um has ulterior motives which I don't necessarily understand. But the problem is then you're like, the villains are in the boardroom and they have a, you know, like their man in Havana, they have this guy on the rig who says he's like an, um, was it actuary or like insurance? Yeah, he's an actuary. I don't know what he is. Um, And it turns out that he's he's Jason Bourne. He's just a thug. (laughs) He's bad. He's bad Jason Bourne. He's he's just a bad, he's, he's, he's a henchman, right? Um, or like a mega henchman because he also has henchmen. Like there, are pe- there are people dressed in black on snowmobiles and and motorcycles in here. So you know what kind of a movie you're in. That's right. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, what do you think about this angle? So like, not not only is this Armageddon on ice, we also have an evil company doing whatever the hell, and we have a, a recognizable actor uh, stuck underground who's slowly uncovering this because these sort of miners also stop start telling him that you know like they've they've been paid like a hundred bucks to disable the methane um, sensors or something. That's right. I don't know. Thoughts on that? Uh, You know what? I like to see Holt McCallany show up anywhere. So that was great that he was in here. He's the miner underground. He's with, you know, the the principles and the moral code that's uh, sort of slowly uncovering, you know, the the corporate bad doing. so I like his presence, but you know what? All this mining stuff, I absolutely hate it. Like it's 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 a it's it does two things. It give it it gives us an urgency because of the you know there's about we think there's thirty hours of air that the miners have, so we have to you know get the wellhead there. So it provides that. Um, it also provides a connection for Amber Midthunder, the Tan Two character, because her brother is in in the mine so it gives a that doesn't really factor into anything does it it's not important no but it it does mm-hmm. that as well but the other thing that i would say that it does is that it'll it allows hensley to uh, uh have a bit of a structure here with the editing and with the the whole narrative really that he can spend some time on the ice road and then when he needs to take a break or adjust the pacing then he can cut over and see what's going on in the mine. So it gives, it gives him something to cut away to, uh, you know, for pacing purposes. So that I think is sort of another big thing here, but the whole thing is stupid. It's uh, poorly realized. I, I have no real use for it. And did you recognize Matt McCoy in here? He was from, he was the playboy from deep star six. Oh, was he the CEO? Yes, he was the CEO. He was the dad in the hand that rocks the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that you that you remembered this. 
Or did you, or was this part of the research? Well, I was like, geez, this guy's familiar. This guy's familiar. Uh, but when we watched Deep Star Six, I had seen the hand that rocks the cradle around that time as well. So he was a little bit on my radar. And then when his name came up and I looked him up, so, oh, frig, yeah, that's who it is. Right. <laughs> so. Oh, he's not the CEO. He's the general manager, the big body, right? Because the CEO turns up at the, at the end of oh, it. Oh, I know what you just, mean. Yeah, the, the guy with the uh, white hair, not him. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, he's sort of the, the chief guy running the, the mine on site. The, the guy with a vest, the, the, the finance bro vest. Yes. Uh, uh, he's like in the, the scenes in the office they have with, with, a, with a sort of like the Smithers equivalents of, of yes. Smithers, right? Yeah. He was just like. And he's. In, he's Mr. Burns. The level yeah. of villainy presented. It's kind of like. Remember, like. What, what was it that we talked about? I want these Crocacondas alive. Like, that's kind of, <laughs> yes. That's kind of where you are. <laughs> yeah. He's like, not rich Mr. Burns, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this stuff is really weak. I get why that, I get why it's there structurally, I suppose. Uh, but boy, oh boy, I'm not enjoying any of it. And uh, there's, there's not really any payoff in that. I, I find very little value in that, except for it's nice to see Holt McCallany show up. I like him. If I'm sure saying, thing, yeah. If I'm saying his name right. Who was probably just finishing that uh, Fincher series around this time too? Mind oh, Mind Hunter. Mind Hunter, yeah. Maybe that was a little yeah, bit so- earlier, but but anyway, I, I don't I don't like this stuff. It's 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 poorly realized. It's cliched. It's this is the stuff that the the complaining article that you were reading uh, in your intro. I can I can plant that onto this side of the mm-hmm. this side of the so you- monster. What do you think about the um, uh, what's his name Varney? That's the henchman, um, which would be the sort of the equivalent of um, you know like the guy from Aliens. Oh yeah, Paul Reiser. I forget the character's name. But yeah. Paul Reiser's character in, in Aliens. Like what? What do you think about him? Uh, yeah, this is where the the film is is going off its rails, right? This this is the type of stuff that, that lowers... Skids the, off the road? Yeah, this is where it lowers the ceiling uh, because this stuff is is really weak. I think this actor, I forget the dude's name, I think he's not that great or interesting. Um, and the character, again, the character is tied to such a stupid, basic, evil trait Oh, the company's mm-hmm. just about money. So the, the the company's greed caused the explosion, and the company to cover their tracks, they have uh, evil Jason Bourne light traveling with these guys, posing as an a, an actuary. You know where was his abacus if he's such a numbers guy? Anyway, it's just <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing with this guy. Like he doesn't work, but he's there. To stretch this out to 105 minutes because mm-hmm. to keep the pace going i suppose there's only so much you can do on on the ice road it's still a plot driven thing so what are the challenges that they come across along the way the ice road stuff is great because you know like you're working with or against physics right so you get a lot of drama and suspense just out of the 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 rigs that are pulling one another. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's mm-hmm. uh, uh, death that he goes in under the ice. Uh, so, uh, these types of elements where the ice is cracking and they have to outrun it. I guess that's when they're tethered together. But these types of things, the the natural 
the, the natural environment that creates the suspense, this stuff really works. And, you know, you've, mm-hmm. you've got the vehicle stuff that works, but to stretch this out, what else can we do to introduce these little challenges, these little pockets, these blips on the timeline of the film, these little rising actions and, uh, you know, barriers to, to get through. And that's what this guy is, like, right? He, he almost makes you kind of second guess the film a little bit. If he wasn't there, you could probably not even think, just okay, well, because he'd be invested in just them trying to fulfill their mission and whatever happens, happens. And that's kind of what you need. Like, you don't necessarily need the conspiracy angle. It's fine without it, right? With it, you, you could think to yourself, okay, do we need the guy on the rig? If I was run, the general manager, do, and I still had Varney at my disposal, would I actually go straight down to, like, Winnipeg to just make sure that I actually enlist the, him onto this mission? Not necessarily um, not necessarily knowing that this may be... Is this, like, the only company that's going to send these people over? No idea. Um, possibly, maybe. Probably is, yeah. It prob- yeah. I mean, I, I tend to think that Canada is a big place, but it's also a big place not full of people. So That's also true. Not, 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 so you've, so you've got Winnipeg, then you go north a little bit, then you've got nobody, and then you've got henchmen, and then you go a little bit further north, and then you've got a mine of workers. Yeah, but if I was the general manager, I'd say, like, do I want to embed um, a spy, a mole, in this operation? Whom you'd also have to sell to Larry Fishburne. That he's just like, okay, well, he has to kind of get take him on the on on the job somehow, so he just sells him as an actuary, right? Like all you need to do is just like this is me spoiling the movie for everyone else and for myself maybe potentially as well because like they're mm-hmm. traveling on the ice there there's there's the stakes on the ice and at the end of it they get off the ice and they have to do what they have to do the sorcerer and go through a bridge take out the bridge so whoever goes on this mission what they'll find that there's no bridge because for whatever reason it got destroyed maybe there was a snowstorm I don't know but it doesn't work it's not you can't cross it therefore they don't make it in time the miners die and i'm safe as a general manager perfect plan yeah and no one knows it's me it's natural causes or whatever or i can even send my guy varney so he has a few days or a few hours maybe to figure out how to blow up the bridge and even with that you probably don't even need to blow up the bridge really because this bridge is going to give in anyway yeah further to that and even go ahead before that, because uh, he, he goes on this on the top of a mountain very quickly, mind you. Yeah, that's coming back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he blows up the 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 snow coverage in there, so he causes an avalanche to ruin the road. Do that, no crossing from there. They won't make it in time. M- miners die again. Game over. You don't need him, or you need him to go and do that, but you don't need him on the rig. I don't even feel i understand what what's wrong with saving them i, I don't even under, understand because they save them and they immediately tell i guess it's because they're going to rat on them for turning off the sensors um yeah but it, yeah because then it's going to be an investigation of what happened and they will eventually start telling that they've been told to do this that and the other to turn this off and they got paid a hundred bucks to do that uh and this is when it's going to come out because probably the savings that they were making, they were pocketing. 
Sure, okay. With, a, with, with Smithers or something, because why else would they do this? For the business? Yeah, it's all it's all pretty weak stuff. Um, but to your point, like, Ver- the existence of Vernie is Verne, <laughs> Jim Vernie. <laughs> Vernie Stinson? It's, it's Jim Vernie, it's Ernest himself. <laughs> but I, nice. yeah i i don't under i don't understand really how, it it doesn't make any sense you know and i know we're in sort of a uh bottom shelf of the video store uh type of straight to video release where logic doesn't necessarily win the day but at the, at the same time that it like it's pretty flimsy writing anything that has to do with the you know the the evil corporate stuff it's pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Sort of takes Agreed. me out. Yeah. So uh, with that, I'm kind of almost done with my talking points. And I think we've touched a little bit about Liam Neeson, but maybe it just bears reasserting. Like, what do we think about Liam Neeson in here as the Because we're talking about his potential progression from... Although you're probably more qualified to do this because I keep promising myself that I'll, I'll, I'll be doing more watching of my Liam Neesons. And um, I didn't. Because, you know, life gets in the way. So how, what do you think about Liam Neeson in here as the sort of like, okay, well, where is he? How does he embed himself in as the sort of latter-day action hero? Uh, well, Is he still a yay or is he a nay in here? Oh, I think he's a yay. Like, like he's he's a presence, right? Like, and I, I like Liam Neeson. I like him in here. I like him in these other films that I, I dislike. I think a couple things are happening, though, around the time of uh the commuter so i think with taken he's he's got this sort of career shift that people want to see him and people are going to cinemas to to see him as this latter-day action star this this dad like in the the taken films two and three were more successful worldwide than the first one so then i think uh is it the gray which I haven't seen. Mm, Gray is what, like 2011. Yeah, so, but it's in this era, right? Like it makes a bunch of money. The other, Jauma Coyette Serra. Coyette Serra. Yeah. So his films, they're all successful. So this works, but, you know, things go in trends, right? So I think with The Commuter, I th- which was 2018. We just talked about it last week, but I, I think it was 2018. Mm-hmm. I think now we've had a good run of Liam Neeson. And I think that adjacent to the commuter, you've got some more of the, the DTV, the straight to streaming, the lower budget stuff, the paycheck films that Liam Neeson is signing on for. I think this is one. I think it happens to be really good for what it is you know, for what it is, but he's signing up for The Marksman, The Honest Thief, Blacklight, these these types of films. And they feel like they're paycheck entries. They feel like they're smaller productions. So they're probably two, three weeks of Liam Neeson's time, you know, comes with a four to $10 million paycheck, do two or three of these a year. So I, I, I feel that his market is declining. And as such, He's not offered films with bigger budgets. He's not like the 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 commuters aren't happening, especially now after the pandemic, because the pandemic further cut the box office at the knees. So I think 
the Liam Neeson cycle of action films was sort of maybe winding down. Um, but further to that, the pandemic has completely knocked it off at the knees. So the types of productions now with Liam Neeson as a lead, there's an appeal, there's an, there's a market for it, but I think it's a much smaller market now. Uh, by the way, what do you think? Um, because I think this is the the newest out of the films that we're going to be talking about. Because next week we're doing non-stop, which is oh, 2014, uh, is it? I'll double 15, check. 15. I want to say, yeah, around 10 years ago. So, yeah, so it's still fairly early in the game. So what do you think is the next? 2014. Like, I, I, yeah, I, I tend to agree that, say, for now, like Liam Neeson has this of the diminishing returns of what he can kind of get get his name on as in like the based on his previous based on the ice road there's like he won't be able to kind of springboard into something bigger mm-hmm. action wise i don't think mm-hmm. um as a lead yeah so i think there's just like a progressive like a sort of steady decline into like lower rungs of the sort of uh, the video store sh- sort of shelf yeah right yeah um, which arguably could um, or already maybe even state that he's already at the bottom shelf. So where do you go from there? What do you think? Again, like that's the question. What where do we go from there as a Liam Neeson sort of observer? What do you think he would do next? Well, and bear in mind he's probably seventy. He's seventy one, I think. So on that, I would. There's another element because what will continue to be available to him will be the good cop, bad cop in Lego movies, the Ra's al Ghouls, the support, the, the prestige supporting roles in bigger films may very well be available to him. I, I could see him mm-hmm. showing up as like a mentor type of figure in a DC movie makes total sense within his career, right? Like I could show like a, a minor Qui-Gon Jinn. I think those roles, if he wants them, if he tells his mm-hmm. agent to pursue them, I think those could still be there, you know, voiceover roles like in the Lego movie and stuff. I think those are still going to be there. But if he wants the leading man gig, I think that they're, for the most part, unless there's some other marketing hook that, you know, him paired with Harrison Ford doing something, like that might be a more marketable hook. Jesus, um, like Grumpy Old Men remake. Yeah. Well, there was a run of Grumpy Old Men movies, right? And well, and De, Ni- <laughs> De Niro's been doing those for a little while. So, you know, if he wants, to, like, and God love him, he's he's seventy plus. If he wants to just sort of ride off into the sunset and retire, that's available to him. Like at that age too, there's probably an energy level thing. Well, like, what do you want to do? And if you want to be a lead, (laughs) what if he's on a testosterone testosterone replacement therapy and he's just still like alive and kicking? Well, then it'll be another 10 years of the Marksman's and the Ice Roads and these types of productions, Mm -hmm. which I feel take less than a month of time, probably, you know, net him four to 10 million, somewhere in that range are somewhat easy to shoot for an action movie, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's like another thing, like if you, if he signs on for another Liam, uh, the, if an, another Christopher Nolan film as a significant character, then that could, you know, be months of commitment. Like, yep. so I think, I think the world is still his oyster. If he still wants to play sort of the leading man action hero, uh, Brian Mills type of guy, 
I think those are going to be limited because the market is is shriveling up. Mm-hmm. I guess that's sort of where I take it. But you know, like he's still Liam Neeson. He's still adored. There's there's there'd still be interest in his talents. Like the was that a monster calls like these, you know, the voice things and the supporting roles, those will be there for him. I would have to think so long as he wants them. Yeah. Uh, I would probably say, is there a place for him? I mean, he did um, some years ago was in 2016. He did Scorsese. Mm -hmm. He, he worked with, uh, was it on the silence? Silence. Yeah. Supporting, right? Uh, yeah, but I'm just thinking like, okay, well, agreed. There's always there's still a space for him to do just more of the same. But then again, the question is like, does he, what, does he want to do that? Like, what? Because he he, I'm pretty sure he's just happy just having have, having work, right? Because it's fun for him, mm-hmm. especially at this age. He doesn't have to work, I don't believe, right? Yeah, unless he someone has to pay off the helicopter or something. I don't know, or he paid for an extension on his mansion. I don't know. Um. But I'm just thinking, like, is there a space for him? And I'd really like him to kind of have this sort of kind of a, I don't want to call it a renaissance, but but this sort of um, treatment that someone like Al Pacino got with Danny Collins and Manglehorn. Mm-hmm. Can we get David Gordon Green? Oh, he just exited the uh, Exorcist prequel sequels. So he's he's not busy. To write him a script where Liam Neeson's got just written as a character who'd be his age, who'd be let's just call it um, not an action superhero, but just a guy. I think in a drama, I think that could work. Um, yeah, totally. If someone wants to do that, you know, and anything anything can happen. I think that that's uh, that would be awesome, and maybe Liam Neeson would go for something like that because sometimes it takes some like a Tarantino or um, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson does something like that mm-hmm. with uh, Philip Baker Hall, right. With uh, yep. hard eight, you know, just sees an actor for the talent that he is and gives him something that would appeal to Liam Neeson as an actor, you know, which I would suggest maybe ice road had a little bit of that um, while still being something that would give him a $4 million paycheck or something. Um, that type of a risk may or may not come with the paycheck. But mm-hmm. again, like, I, I don't know. Oh, it may come with an Oscar nomination. Yeah. And I don't know Liam Neeson at all. I don't know what he's happy doing. I don't know, like, because it could very well be, I'm happy doing these. They're simple. I can do three a year and I'm only busy three months of the year and I hardly have to do any promotions for it. I don't have to go around the world to 10 different festivals for for these little premieres so he may be banned from doing promotions do you remember like a few years ago he had a bit of a cock up when he just like randomly started volunteering information from his past <laughs> just like, no i don't know this story <laughs> no no what, oh what did goodness do? like this was just bad like uh what was it i can't remember what the occasion was that he's talked about his friend when he was younger he lived in like Coleraine in in Northern Ireland he was like his friend was raped and then he decided to stand like he took he he took a knife and he went he he tells like they're they're marketing a film and he just tells this interviewer that he just took a knife and he went outside and I quote 
hoping that he would kill a black man. I'm like, why? <laughs> just why really? Yes. And he was just because he was trying to say that you know, like back in the day he would have uh, that people grow. You know that he like when he was younger he was very young. He was stupid and racist, and then he realized how stupid and racist he was and he stopped being stupid and racist but as he's telling this and you see everyone in the room it's kind of like the Lars von Trier moment in Cannes when he goes like I I, I understand Hitler and everyone's just like Shh. <laughs> <laughs> no I so, either didn't know that or, or totally forgot it wow yeah. oh just google this <laughs> yeah. this is I just, just Article BBC. Liam Neeson says he, in fact, is not racist after controversial <laughs> interview. <laughs> yes. The Guardian. Liam Neeson okay. says he is not racist in wake of rape comments. Wow. See? <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of... I don't know what they were promoting, though. Oh. Kill me, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this was this... I remember uh-huh. seeing this snippet of that interview. And when they sit on these, like, very uncomfortable chairs and he's explaining things and he just talks about killing a knife. <laughs> leaving his house. Goodness. With, with, a, with a racist homicide murder on his mind. I'm like... You know? Like, some thoughts... <laughs> Again, as, what did I what did I say? Some reason, like some thoughts should have been like swallowed at conception. Just do not, just like oh, I know what I'm gonna say. No, hope keep it to yourself, no. Liam. Just like you know, you like sometimes it's okay to just for you just you to know that you've grown and and that's also part of growth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Christ, that was that was something. So you know, he almost like uh, like for a second, you, you could feel feel like oh maybe he this is it because no one else is gonna take him for that kind of a big role because he's not gonna market anything because he's not allowed to speak to journalists anymore. Well, this is interesting because this was in 2019. I'm seeing, so I don't know. Maybe there's a, a little bit of an asterisk that goes beside Liam Neeson now too. I think it does co- correspond with sort of the downward leg of the Liam Neeson trend, to be honest. Like I, I do think the market's sort of getting a little shriveled up, but you know, the commuter has just happened and I, did he have a big one after the commuter? I forget. I think that was oh. sort of the last bigger one. I want to say. I think that maybe the last, well, the commuter is probably the last bigger one that actually made substantial money. Right. Right. So then these comments come out so was there's probably yeah less desire to <laughs> you know take a big risk let's let's take a risk on a 45 oh, million dollar film on on Liam Neeson because a 45 million That was million during dollar, promoting Cold Pursuit. Uh, okay. And that was sort of a mid-range one, right? Like I think it made a little bit of money. I shoot me, I don't know. It was released in uh theatrically. But yeah, like I think he's on his the the down the the downside here of his uh his his hero days. Just I think that market is starting to shrivel. So uh yeah, those comments don't help. But I no don't think they, they do not I, help like one bit. I don't think they hurt. But maybe it's enough for someone who has a forty five million dollar project. Geez, Liam Neeson would fit in here. Well, it's forty five million. Then we'd have to sort of send him out on the press tours. 
do we want that? Mm-hmm. You know, and he he did in between the commuter and cold pursuit. He did also did widows and the ballad of bastards, Buster Scruggs. Supporting. So both, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like at this point, like even with these stupid comments that just like dearly am just sometimes say you don't have you don't have to open your mouth. It's fine. Yeah. Say that Cold Pursuit is a great film and just go home, pocket the pocket the check. Jesus. Yeah. You don't have to explain yourself that you used to be a horrible person. Now you're no longer that person because people change as they grow. We all know that. You don't have to go and document that. Or you, or you could have just fine. said it that way. I've done stupid things in the past and I yeah. feel I'm always no, growing. He goes like, I know what I'm going to say. And his agent <laughs> in the back goes like, just <laughs> allow me to <laughs> list the stupid things I've done. <laughs> And he goes like, let me finish. (laughs) 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 And the journalist just smells blood in the, in in the water. It's just like, Ooh, what would you like to say? (laughs) Like Jesus, Liam, holy Christ. Anyway. So I think we've stretched this long enough. So Liam has, has had his moments. Um, and then he needs probably he's in need of David Gordon Green or like Jeff Nichols or someone <laughs> giving him like like a real role in something like Mud. Um, although for young for for older people, I suppose. Anyway, so final thoughts. I think it's a good time to go and wrap this up now. Yeah, final thoughts. This this is a good good little film. Like I said at the start, I think it's a two headed beast, but this. The head that is just the ice road and that type of adventuring, that action film is a fun one. Um, this conversation, you know, just sort of firmly connecting it to what Hensley's doing, which I, I think is uh, Wages of Fear, Sorcerer, uh, <laughs> Armageddon, and uh, Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. That fascinates me, makes me even like it a little bit more. Uh, but I, I can't spend too much time thinking about the tomfoolery that is going on dramatically in the mind. Matt McCoy sort of bothers me here. Uh, just it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's sort of a, a distraction. I, I think that a little bit more time had it been spent on the script, you could have really cleaned up the the business of the mind. So the other head of the monster, I think you could have cleaned up the stuff that's happening in the mine and taking away the corporate evil and in some fashion or, you know, just tamped it down a little bit. It draws attention to itself is what it does with the Varney character and Matt McCoy acting malevolent. Uh, so yeah, that's what it is, but you know, yeah, I still like it really good film and there's a surprising amount of heart to it with the, the, the brothers keeper business. So and also, yeah, again, another shout out. I sort of like Amber uh, Midthunder. I think that's her name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I liked it. It is a definitely a gem. I'll, I'll go three and a half on this. I'm happy to do so. Uh, I, 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 you know, I echo this statement. The three and a half out of five, a solid sort of journey is the destination type of movie. I totally agree. It's it's just a confluence of like the character works is just competent enough for what it is. With picking up all these sort of the fundamentals of wages of fear, um, and the fundamental stakes of I suppose like Armageddon is like wages of fear in a way. You know? Anyway, so it's, it's it's like it's archetypal. I think that's kind of the word I want to use in a way. 
it knows its place. It, kn- it knows it's not a big movie um, with any ambition to be a, a massive blockbuster, even though it sometimes tries with its special effects, which really show. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's propulsive enough. It has the stakes. It has the intrigue. It has the suspense where it needs to. And that's kind of all I want out of a movie that's just uh, supposed to kind of occupy you in a way. So nice and disposable piece of entertainment nothing else and within these parameters stand up job right so that's kind of how 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 i'm gonna leave this Mm -hmm. really like the relationship like really really like the um, amber mid thunder in here um and it is what it is solid action film you know like a dad film yeah for january is a liam's is a neeson spotting season and we've spotted a big one (laughs) so it's that um, so three and a half out of five, and let's move on to our tops. Let give us your tops. Okay. Uh, cool. What do? Okay, this is a little. It's it's something I thought was sort of subtle within the script, which says to me, you know what? This is a little bit wiser a film, at least when it comes to characters, than you might ever think. So at one point, uh, Tantu is being tied up or something by the Varney character, and uh. Verne says, you know, you're you're alone. Like, who do you think is going to save you? And she says, the other drivers are coming. And what I find interesting about that is the film knows that these are all strangers. It sort of understands who these characters are. And the characters talk the way the characters might talk. So this is to say that Tantu doesn't say, oh, well, Mike and Gertie are coming. Because she's not best friends with them. She only met them 30 hours earlier, 20 hours earlier or something. So she doesn't really know them very well. She just calls them the other drivers. So anyway, I thought that was um, that was a touch in there that, that said, I think there's, there's at some level, there's some character work that's being thought through in, in the script. So I just sort of throw that out as an example of what I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with, once again, I like Fishburne's death. I like the... <laughs> I like the way his foot gets caught. You know, it's it's something probably a professional would never do. But at, at the same time, I remember once I my brother-in-law is a lobster fisher. And one time we went out with him uh, fishing, just spent the day on the, on the high seas with him. And there was one thing he cautioned me of. And I was like, do not stand near the line. Because when the lobster traps go out off the back of the book, boat, they're all connected to a rope. And if your foot happens to be tangled, guess what? You're going into, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a long way to the bottom. So anyway, I, I like that bit of business. I, I, th- I thought that was sort of an interesting death and something I didn't mention along the way that this film gives me a spectacle I'm not used to. So I, I mentioned over and over, uh, Liam Neeson's playing a character I'm not used to in this type of film. You know what? The, the scenery isn't what I'm used to either. The business of the, the ice road so it's it it does have its own feel in a a special way but anyway fishburn's uh death and the way he gets his foot caught that was that was great um the sequence right after that where uh fishburn's gone and his trailer's gone the truckers have to outrun the cracking ice i think that's a fantastic scene and you you've got the rigs and they're sliding back and forth on the ice they're tethered together that's just a nice piece of uh situational action writing it's fairly well realized you know you can look at some of the cracking ice couple of those cgi uh 
shots aren't too bad, but some of them are, you know, you can really <laughs> see the cracks in it. But, uh, but I, I really like <laughs> this man's on fire today. Oh gosh. Very punny, aren't I? So yeah. Oh God. <laughs> So that's that's one as well, and uh, number one has has got to be the brothers keeper thing. I, I think in mm-hmm. addition to you know Gertie and his character, and that's it strikes me as as well played or at least effective enough. Um, we learn a lot about Liam Neeson, and and there's there's things that are baked into here that add a texture to the character that we didn't even talk about. So Liam Neeson has sacrificed everything to sort of oversee his brother and to protect his brother. Like Liam Neeson is a different character because he's not married, doesn't have a girlfriend. He's had no love in his life because he's been taking care of his brother arguably for 45 years. Uh, so anyway, the relationship between Liam Neeson and uh, Marcus Didn't Thomas. Did accident in, Vietnam, in, in Iraq? or Afghanistan or something. Or somewhere. Yeah. So it's after 9-11. True. Unless it's yeah. taking place in the future, in which case, fair play. Yeah, yeah no, okay. So regardless, decades though. Um, so Liam Neeson has... There are sacrifices made. Like he, he doesn't have any roots, I'll say, that, that, we can, mm-hmm. that we can detect. And that's sort of an interesting angle for this guy. So that's my number one. All right, I've got. I'm gonna limit myself to three, just just to you know, keep it uh, keep it simple. So I really like the Gertie test when G- Joe, Jim Goldenrod mm-hmm. goes like, "How how quickly can you do whatever?" and he just like takes apart an engine like a beast. I really like that scene because it's it, again functional introduction of a skill. That it's like a check off skill because he's gonna have to use it in anger, and they do, and and how he ends up using it's also great. Um, also kind of like just in general how when something happens because they have these like little bobbing dolls to tell them that they drive too quickly and there are pressure waves forming mm-hmm. they have to they they have the protocol is for them to take off the seat belts and then lean outside of the cabin in case the thing would go under so they would be able to jump out and not yeah. die really fun um so another one i have is uh so after Larry Fish, Larry Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne's death, the next ten minutes when they're trying to fix shit, which also culminates with this sort of the winch, um, sort of I mean, maybe it's a different scene now, maybe it's just all blurring into one. But I really like the moment when when they try to overturn the truck and just for a second it just <laughs> dances on on like tiptoeing on a tire and it's just like this is dangerous. Danger, danger, really like it. And the best is the, the 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 one character moment I mentioned before where he just explains to Lawrence Fishburne, it's like, oh, my brother has aphasia and this is this is just don't need to tell me. I know what it is. Yep. That's it. I can really like this moment of really competent characterizing. Very nice. Agreed. <sighs> Bottoms. That's going to be easy. Okay. No one. We never mentioned the rat once. No, true. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I'll leave it for you. I didn't really have any trouble with the rat. I don't have him on. I don't have the rat on my bottom list, but I just realized that Nagurti had a rat. Yeah, let's mention <laughs> like it here. Sort of a, the abyss. A sort of a communal. Yeah, uh, uh, the the rat could, doesn't do anything wrong, but do we need a rat? No. Uh, okay, I have a couple of dishonorables. There's country music in the opening, and then over the end credits. Oh, got him. That especially the cut in there, by go. the way. Guy screaming, cut to. All I want to do is drive. Yeah, brutal. Um, I have another 
dishonorable tied tied up in the script. So as as sharp as the script was at times, uh, there's at one point um, Lawrence Fishburne or the guy from the government with him. They're explaining we're sending three wellheads up just in case something goes wrong and one doesn't get like two don't get there or whatever. There's three chances to do this correctly. And uh, it's either Fishburne or the, the Canadian government guy says it's, you know, we're doing this as a redundancy. And Tantu says, what's a, a rewatency? Really? Just like- you don't know the word redundancy? I don't, I don't buy that. And if she didn't know the word redundancy, I don't think she would uh, She's like Marty question McFly. it that also way. Did, also didn't know a few words. Yeah. So anyway, that was a little bit of a weakness. Okay. Oh, she went to school in Winnipeg. Leave her alone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I like Winnipeg, you know. <laughs> but it's, uh, but it turns out their schooling system not the best. That's probably true. As Although well. she probably skipped a few classes in here because she was probably just busy fixing engines or and yeah, and Winnipeg's a bit of a rough town. Um, but on Slack, if you see my profile picture, by the way, um, mm-hmm. I'm pointing to a door behind me, and that's the entrance to the uh, uh, Winnipeg National Theater, which was where Keanu Reeves went in when he played Hamlet in Winnipeg. So Mm -hmm. Winnipeg has a really weird history. And Winnipeg is also the city that rallied behind uh, Phantom of Paradise. It's like the one city in the world that loved that movie. (laughs) Anyway. um, Okay, where am I? I'm in my actual bottom list. Yeah. The drama in the mine. (laughs) incredibly uninteresting alive it's again yeah who are we gonna eat it's like let's take it to a vote take it to vote who's gonna get like a hammer to the to the head like really so that can go um also yeah i've got four so that'll be my number four number three matt mccoy having evil executive meetings and just terrible Sorry, I know it's not a moment, and it's sort of a broad Matt McCoy hate, but it's uh, okay. I've, I've, you you know, got some broad ones too. Okay. No, I don't have any broad ones actually. Mm, okay. Do I have? No, I don't have any broad ones. I have very specific okay. moments that really kind of irked me. Okay. So here's a couple specifics. The avalanche CGI is terrible. Okay. The CGI is terrible, and then my number one also has to do with the avalanche, and it's the scene. So Verne. He gets knocked off of a narrow row in the road on the side of a mountain and he tumbles down in his vehicle. I'm going to say at least 50, 50, 60 feet. And he's on an, a road, a lower road. Now, meanwhile, uh, Neeson and uh, Gertie, forget the actor's name again, and Tantu, they're, they're all on the higher road having just knocked this guy over and they're going to fix the the fuel line, I think it is, and then carry on their way. So they're not going anywhere. So Varney, who's like 60 feet below them. Probably with broken legs. Probably, but he's not. He, he pulls himself out of the his vehicle. He walks down this other road 20 feet, finds an abandoned uh, snowmobile. Is this one of the snowmobiles that a henchman had? I don't know. It shouldn't be because it shouldn't be ahead of where the action was. should be behind them. But he finds this snowmobile, and then he somehow goes up the 50, 60 feet 
and passes them and goes up another couple hundred feet to be on the top of this cliff. He does all this on a snowmobile, and this seems really high. It seems impractical, and he does so in the span of just a few minutes, and no one notices. So there's that. That really made mm-hmm. no sense. So so Verne and his snowmobile alpine climbing is my bottom of the bottom. Okay. okay. I've got a special mention because I don't what know if it got? belongs on top or bottom. Is the hard cut from a guy screaming into a country song? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where to put it, but <laughs> I, f- I think it needs to be put somewhere. Okay. Um. What? Uh. What I have? Okay. Special mention to the um, fake explosion in the distance when the mine explodes. You can see this is like a Sharknado explosion. Yes. <laughs> This is so bad. Um, I've got... Oh, yeah. So, my note says, so he hears the bang and then he sees the blast because the, there's an explosion, right? That's the ex- There's an explosion and they hear the bang mm-hmm. and then they go outside to look and then they see the mushroom. Uh... That's not oh, how yeah, it yeah. works, Hefe. That's true. The speed of light they, and the speed of sound, different orders of magnitude. That's true. That is, saying, that's what they say, isn't it? Just saying. You, you, you see the lightning first, then the thunder comes. Not the way around, the other way around, Jonathan. <laughs> when Tantu gets. Has has she has her accident? And by the way, like how how Gertie dies is kind of daft, because um, he just gets <laughs> smashed. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just like, oh no, what happened? As he's closing, um, a, a very flimsy. I was gonna say gate a to- fence with a lot of give. So he honestly he pro- he might break a couple bones, crack a few ribs, get bruised, but but what do I know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, but no, no there's, Tanto has an accident where I think, I can't remember, she drives into a tree. Oh, the avalanche, the now. trees that came down. Or maybe the avalanche. the avalanche, yeah. So she ends up being impaled by a tree. Yeah. And she has this sort of twig stuck in her chest. Yeah. And Liam Neeson was like, I'm going to help you. And he takes out the twig. I'm like, snap the fucking twig. And... This is what a first aid would do. Just do not remove the object because she's gonna bleed to death. Leave it in, just bandage around it, and you can you can see it's just twig this stick to just cl- clip it. That done. We're good. Yeah. You know, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst is kind of at the end the sort of denouement <laughs> when they arrive at the base and. This every it, the the Scooby Doo moment of just like you know like oh this this of GM being out uh, outed as this villain he gets punched in the face by Liam Neeson and then they say oh we need a medic here there's no rush because yeah. Gertie's already dead so we kind of make peace with the fact that she that he's dead and they stand outside the hospital and this woman runs out of the building. <laughs> we found this on his body. And this is a brochure of this truck that they were going to buy that Liam yeah. isn't tore apart in, <laughs> in anger that Gertie somehow glued together, right? Right. And you just think, like, 
Why would she think it's important? <laughs> there's no, there's like no notes in it. And there's no messages like "I love you, bro" or something like. No, no, this is just a brochure. <laughs> it's, it's just ripped up garbage. <laughs> yeah, it's just like she should have just said like, "Oh, that goes in the bin." <laughs> she just runs out <laughs> to give it to Liam Neeson, and he goes like, "Okay, I need, I know, I need what, need, what I need to do." I need to go and buy myself a Kenworth. I need to buy a rig and name it exactly how he said he would. We should name it, which is truck, truck, truck. Which is what he does, which is kind of cute. But the whole moment of just like, sir, we found this on his body, and this is his brochure. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. So that's a three and a half stars. Of direct to TV, okay? Yeah. Just so you know, like, this is not the three and a half stars. Like, the, the Prey on Netflix is a different three and a half stars. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway. So you can watch it on Netflix. You can watch it on Amazon and other jurisdictions. I don't think you can find it on physical media because we talked about this. This is the bane of our existence because direct to streaming films don't get physical releases. And then once they're gone, they're gone. Um, so that's where you can watch them. Thank you for sticking with us. And now, you know, let's pack it in. So Randy, tell us where you can find, uh, where people can find your stuff and you. Sure thing. You can find me on X at Randy Burrows. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. I'm writing again. So just watch out for some upcoming articles and probably make another announcement on that once I actually release one, I don't want to jinx anything. Um, and you can find me on my Facebook group, Island Film Geeks. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter slash X at TalkAboutFilm, only just sporadically. Jakob Flash on Letterboxd and FlashOnFilm.com. So F-L-A-S-Z on Film.com. And also you can find me on Medium. Uh, dot com where you can find my find the links to wherever you need to go on my website as well and you can find the show at uncut gems pod everywhere uncut gems podcast.com is where our website where you can find and browse all our episodes and then also remember because i haven't repeated it enough patreon.com slash uncut gems pod is where you find extra podcasts and this month taken is still for free for a week um Next month's Magic Mike's Last Crusade. Uh, also upcoming The Loveless. So we've, we're getting big and low with Bigelow. Also Spike Lee's coming up later on in the year. Plenty of cool things to listen to. David Lynch complete. Cassavetes complete. Bunch of bonus podcasts. You name it. They're, it's all there for just $3. It's a no-brainer if you just like the shit that we do. If you don't, as I said at the beginning, pay it forward. Tell a friend. Uh, so with that we might as well just quickly mention next week we will be putting a finishing touch on our Liam's planes trains and automobiles by talking about planes so we're gonna be talking about non-stop so stay tuned for that and in the meantime you have yourself a nice day and you know like drive safe (laughs) so bye